Welcome to the Illinois Soy Podcast. Enjoy. I'm speaking with Steve Baker, president of Springfield Plastics. And Steve, today we are talking about buffer strips, more specifically saturated buffer strips. Let's just start out with defining what a buffer strip in general is. Buffer strips have been around for quite some time. The traditional buffer strip was put in to reduce sediment losses that were connected with overland or surface drainage. The concept there was is to keep the sediment up in the field rather than let it go straight out off the field. So the sediment losses was the general objective and goal for the buffer strips that have been in for 30, 40, 50 years now. Can you now tell us what a saturated buffer strip is? What sets it apart? The difference is, is when the intensity on the subsurface drainage increased, what it did, it had the effect of reducing the runoff, the surface runoff coming out of the field. Therefore, the buffer strip became almost ineffective because there was no water moving over the top because all the water was moving through the drainage system uh, that was underneath the field and underneath the buffer strip. How do we take that water now instead of just letting it go to the stream, routing it back into the buffer strip and letting the buffer strip do what it was originally designed to do, and that is to remove nutrients. What we do is we take a drainage line and we redirect with a control structure the subsurface drainage flow back into that buffer strip. When we do that, what happens is, is we get denitrification to the atmosphere, but you also get some vegetation uptake. Therefore, you get this reduced amount of nitrogen that ultimately ends up in the stream and the outlet pipe. And I can see how that can be very handy, especially with concerns about nutrients getting into waterways being such a hot topic nowadays. It is a concern. As, as we know, in agriculture, all of us that kind of follow this, that water quality is a major concern, not just here in Illinois, but across the whole Midwest in particular. Any kind of conservation practice that we can put in place or a conservation practice that we can make better and reduce these nutrients is really beneficial. A saturated buffer strip, these were created because water was now running underground instead of above ground off of the fields, and we needed to figure out a way to make the buffer strips do some work again. So we install a pipe and filter that through the buffer strip again. Is this a concept that is catching on with farmers? Are they starting to implement it, or is this still being researched? Uh, You've got a little bit of all of those things. The research has now been in high gear for about three or four years, and we're getting research results in now. When those results came in, then everybody saw how positive they were. Therefore, the interest grew very, very quickly. Where we are today is that NRCS has now looked at the practice and said, look, we we can look at these research results, and they have now drafted a practice standard, and they have it under review, and at some point, once they get it finalized, that will lead to cost share of this practice. So when the farmer says, I want to put a saturated buffer in, he'll better go to his NRCS office and get the appropriate engineering done for him, uh, the management of the saturated buffers, and then there'll be some cost share attached to that. So it'll be a, really a win-win for the environment and a win-win for the farmer. 
Excellent. Now, you mentioned that this is a result of the saturated buffer strips being so effective. Can you go over just how effective they are? Some figures, maybe? In the most recent study done by the Ag Drainage Management Coalition, they monitored 28 field years of saturated buffers. The nitrogen concentrations were reduced in 27 out of the 28 field years monitored. So it was very, very positive in the amount of concentration. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the nitrogen all was removed because it is directly related to the flow that you also diverted. So that practice is coming in roughly in the 50-55% of the flows going into these buffers is being diverted and the water is, is being treated for nitrogen. So it's a very, very positive results. Uh, the conclusion of the study basically said when proper site conditions and design considerations are met, the saturated buffer practices are effective in reducing nitrate transport. So this was a, a lead researcher from USDA ARS, not a, a lightweight conclusion, and that's one reason that USDA and RCS looked at it and said, wow, this is, this is something we really need to be looking at. Is there a particular above-ground environment that needs to be met when you're installing a saturated buffer strip, a certain plant mixture, or does it only work in a certain type of already existing buffer strip? That question has been asked many times, and I've personally been out on the, the saturated buffer sites with what you would call grasses and vegetation experts from the University of Illinois. Instantly, you could see their mind was racing could they recommend a vegetation type that would even remove more nitrogen and have more uptake? No one has actually done a study yet, so we don't know the answer. If there is a vegetation, it's one that's better than the other. But what we do know is the study was done in four states, 15 sites. So we had a wide geography. So we do know that the, you know, the grasses in Minnesota uh, are not the same as the vegetation here in Illinois. Uh, Illinois and Indiana are probably somewhat similar, but we do know we had a wide geography and saw these results occurring. So kind of a indirect conclusion is, is that most vegetation types can use this nitrogen. And when it comes to actually implementing a saturated buffer strip, how does a farmer know what type of system that they need to have in place, sort of the dimensions and how that will work on their field? Is there a pipeline per acre ratio that is set, or does it depend on each farm? It depends on each farm, but what this practice standard will do is it will start to define exactly the, the details of the system. As you know, uh, NRCS, when they write a practice standard, it will say that you can only have a certain size pipe or a certain size buffer strip for them to cost share it. And that will start to lay out the engineering particulars of each person's buffer strip. As you know, every buffer strip is not exactly the same. Mine might be a little different than yours, and yours different than the next farm or even the adjacent landowners. But this practice standard will lay out those guidelines on how to do it. One of the most important things that came out of the study was that the soil type that's in that buffer strip will tend to tell everyone how well it's going to work. Our soils with high inorganic matter, lots of carbon, tend to work much better in the treatment process than a gravel. In fact, when the practice standard gets written, these buffer strips that have a lot of gravel sublayers 
chances are those were not candidates for saturated buffers. Are there any slope requirements or topography issues that you can call out right away that might be a problem if a farmer is trying to implement a saturated buffer strip? No, actually we have tested on purpose many types of topography, straight up the hill, flatland drainage, just to know, okay, is this one buffer work better than the other buffer? The only thing difference in what the topography sets is the management required. The management required on something with quite a bit of elevation change is very, very minimal, in fact, almost zero, versus a system that's flat land drainage where you have to be control, concerned about water table. And when it comes to the management of these systems, how intensive is that? Do you put it in and then let it do its thing, or do you have to sort of regularly come back and check on it? We have some uh, in our test study that are on the side of a hill that we installed the control structure and the, and the level controls in that structure on day one, and they haven't been touched in three or four years. We have others that are on our flatland drainage systems where particularly in the spring season, we are managing the water level in that control structure. One's got a very active management, one has little or no management, just depending on what your topography is in your field. We know that going in. We can tell the farmer up front, you're, you're flat, that means you're gonna have to manage this in the springtime in particular. Where can farmers go for different resources if they would like to research this topic a bit more? What I would recommend, they go to the coalition's website at admcoalition.com, admcoalition.com. There is a link on there that will go right into more information than they may ever want to know about a saturated buffer, but there's a full 225-page <laughs> report if they want that. They want just a small amount of information. They want to look at the practice standard. It's on there. They want to look at some other research reports that have been done are on there. So it's kind of a, a collection of all the information we know about regarding the saturated buffer. Part of this study that was done, we also did cost analysis for the cost per pound of nitrogen. And that's a very important as we start to tackle the nutrient loss problem is, okay, what practice gives us the best bang for our dollar? On our saturated buffers, we had cost as low as 55 cents a pound. Our high cost was $4.64 a pound. Our average was $2.13 a pound. When you look at that cost compared to other practices for nitrate removal, it's lower than almost all other costs. So whether that be for wetlands, whether it be for cover crops, the cost is you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. You're not taking any land out of production, which obviously is very beneficial and advantageous to the farmer. Uh, so it, uh, the saturated buffer from a, from a nitrate removal cost comes out very favorable. Again, that was Steve Baker, president of Springfield Plastics. This podcast was brought to you by the Illinois Soybean Checkoff. For more useful information about growing soybeans, visit illsoyadvisor.com. That's ilsoyadvisor.com.